Liverpool 3 0. Call it, take it quickly, Origi! Yeah! Yeah! Hello and welcome to the Anfield Central podcast. It was three dirty points, as Jurgen Klopp said yesterday, for the Reds in Wolverhampton, and Liverpool have won two games in a row for the first time in who knows how long. I'm joined by James and Paddy this week. Welcome, guys. You all right? Good, good, thanks. Um, and before we get into the nitty-gritty of Liverpool's victory over Wolves yesterday, we'll just say all our thoughts here at Anfield Central are with Rui Patricio, who suffered an awful head injury towards the end of the game there, which kind of put a bit of a dampener on the on the whole affair. It was a really horrific injury, um, colliding with Connor, Connor Cody towards the end of the match. But it was a 1-0 win for Liverpool at Molyneux. Um, Diogo Jota with the only goal against his former club. James, how do we assess that one? It was just a really difficult game for either side. Uh, I think both sides were a bit nervous going into it. They looked a bit edgy in the game. Obviously, they were on this terrible rut at the moment. And, but we do seem to play better away from home. And Wolves are struggling to score goals. So I never expected them to come out and, and have a go at us. But it's just a really cagey game. It, it's something that you know we've grown accustomed to over the last couple of weeks with Liverpool. But last night, you could see with 10 minutes to go, the players were just hoofing balls long and sort of panicking a little bit. So... Just a weird game, really. Yeah, definitely a weird one. It was kind of, I was expecting us to have a lot more possession, really, than we had. As I think Wolves actually had more possession than us, as it turned out. Um, they've been so negative this year that under Nuno, they've just been, they've been awful, really. It's probably the worst team in the league to watch, to be fair. So I wasn't expecting them to cause us too many problems. So fortunately, they didn't. Um, but yeah, three points is all that matters. Because um, we had lost the ability to A, win ugly and B, score in the first half. So to manage to do both of those in the one game is it's a good start. Yeah, we just lost the ability to win full stop, really, haven't we? Um, yeah, true. <laughs> um, Josser obviously came into the team yesterday. He played against Leipzig as well because Firmino was injured. Comes in, scores the goal, kind of picked up where he's left off, really, um, before he had that, that injury before Christmas. I think the guys on the TV were talking about how in terms of like distance covered, Jota isn't actually that far away from Firmino, and obviously Firmino's kind of role on teams all about pressing from the front, bringing other, bringing them Mane and Salah into the game, and the kind of linking the midfield and and the front three together quite nicely. Do we think Jota can kind of make that Firmino role his own? Yeah, I think he can. I think if you go back to especially in the Champions League when he scored the hat trick away at uh, Atlanta, everyone was saying start ahead of Firmino anyway. You know, back then, um, I think they were surprised he. Uh, when he, I don't think he started against Manchester City in the next game. Um, I think he just has the edge over him because parts last night we saw jotted down the left or we saw him down the middle. I think he, he's a bit more versatile than Firmino. You know, it allowed Mane to come down the middle or Salah to go down the middle. So I just think he, he yes, he can do the Firmino role, but I think he offers a little bit more than what Firmino can offer at the same time. Yeah, because when we brought him in first, I was thinking he's basically going to be just on the left wing because at Wolves, he didn't really play as the number nine, I suppose you could say. He played in a front two with Jimenez, but more often than not, it was off the wing in, a, I suppose, a 3-4-3. Three, three. Um, so when he came in, I just thought, yes, he can be. He probably will be able to play as a nine or a false nine or whatever you want to call it. But I expect him to be on the left wing, say, with and if Firmino's being rested, maybe have Manny in the middle or put Mane on the right and put Salah in the middle. I didn't really expect Jota to play a whole pile through the centre. Um, but yeah, he's obviously able to do it. We saw last night, he was dropping deep. He's able to link up to play, which he he's obviously able to do anyway. It's probably his, his main strength is his kind of, his intelligence, I suppose. Um, 
But then again, he's a much better finisher than Firmino, as well most players are, to be fair. But um, so I think he gives that bit extra playing in the false nine or as a natural number nine, whatever you want to kind of define it as. Yeah, and like you said, I think when he came into the club in the summer, a lot of us thought he'd be, you know, another option off the bench um, when one of the front three needed a rest or or through injury because those front three have kind of been a, a mainstay of this Liverpool team for two or three years. But now it's looking more likely that you'd expect him to be starting games rather than coming off the bench. Staying with the front three, um, let's talk about Sadio Mane a bit. How do we assess his performance last night, James? He looked really sharp in the first half, but then he did have a couple of chances that one way he was put through and he went around Patricio that you probably were expecting to do better with. Um, and then he was a bit a bit sloppy on the ball in places as well. So it's kind of a difficult one to kind of assess him in this one game. Um, but in terms of the last few matches, he's kind of looked off the boil. Do we think he's kind of getting back to his best or is there still a way to go? I think last night we saw just a, a summary of how Sadio Mane's played this season. Like you said, first half, he looked really sharp. You know, he should have scored when he took it round Patricio. He should have scored the header, really. Uh, when Alexander Arnold crossed it into him, he probably had enough time to take a touch. But I think with his current form, he's just gone with the header first time. And then the second half, he, like you said, just given the ball away. Obviously, there was just a couple of minutes left, and we broke with Mane. And then instead of playing it to either Oxley Chamberlain or Salah, yeah, he just he just delayed everything and then lost the ball. And then all of a sudden, the Dharma Triore is breaking down the right hand side and. Um, it was just a summary of his season so far. First part of the season, he was he played well. And then second half of the season, he hasn't played that well. And I think that's what we got. First half played well, second half not played too well. Yeah, I don't think I can add much else to that really, James. It's a, hit the nail on the head. Um, he did look a lot livier than he has looked in the last few weeks. I think he was a lot sharper because like, it's actually been unbelievable recently how leggy he's looked, I think you know that he, he's a player who's played pretty much every minute of every game for the last three years, played African Cup of Nations, played basically every match that he's available to play um, and he's looked that way. So, yeah, it was good to see him with a bit more kind of zip in his movement, a bit more energy in the legs. But, yeah, again, there was obviously his, his bad moments as well, which, you know, it, it happens. It'll hopefully a nice break will, will kind of get him back to his normal self. Sticking with, with Mane, there's been a couple of occasions in the last... Um, couple of matches. There was one against Leipzig and, and last night as well, where you think he's kind of he could have gone down, but he stayed on his feet, which is obviously something to be applauded. But he's 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 basically been fouled and not gone down. Liverpool haven't got a decision, and that's kind of been a bit of a niggle of some fans in, on, particularly on social media. I'm just wondering, is he being a bit too honest? Uh, I think he might be, to be honest with you. I think you know Sally gets all the stick, doesn't he, for going down too easy and. Some uh, fans say he goes down like he's been shot, or, or you know, just that's how they summarise it. And then obviously Michael Owen came out with that ridiculous statement that Mane is not going down because Salah takes penalties and Mane wants to score more goals than Salah. I think that just sums Michael Owen's you know punditry up really. Um, yeah, I just think he's trying to be too honest, um, which isn't a bad thing if you're winning every game three four nil like last season. But when you're scraping you know one nil wins or it's nil nil going late into a game, and we've been getting beat one nil in tight games. If it just went down, you know, it just changes the complex of the game and where we are in the league. Yeah, you just have to go down. I couldn't care less if anyone calls him a diver or whatever. I don't care. Get your penalty, get us three points. 
like it's it's actually something that really annoys me in in soccer is or football is that refs never give fouls unless you go down and then if you get if you get fouled and you know you're fouled and you go to ground and it looks like a dive then everyone gives out about you diving but like you're fouled in the first place you could see with Salah last night I think it was I'm not actually sure I think it was Willie Bolly actually was pulling out of him he was clearly fouling him and then Salah went down theatrically yeah it looked ridiculous but he was being fouled and he had to go to ground to get the ref's attention to get his free so I just think it's something that the refs kind of need to talk about is like players can be fouled and not go to ground like it's possible yeah, absolutely. I think the, the biggest example was the other in the Man City Southampton game the other week with um, Alex McCarthy on Phil Foden. He, I think he basically almost did knock him completely to the floor and, and <laughs> didn't get the penalty. Um, but yeah, I think there's a fine line, obviously, between it. it's a contact sport and you expect contact. But there are times when players are clearly being, particularly you know defenders or, or goalkeepers, they're clearly pulling on the player's shirt or doing enough to influence them not being able to get the ball and, and they're not given penalties until players go down. And then that's why players do go down because they know if they, unless they go to ground, this is just not going to be made whether they're being fouled or not. So I think it's definitely something that needs to be looked at. Sticking with Liverpool's performance last night, it was Phillips and Kabak at the back again. Um, second game in a row, which is in the in the kind of tale of this season, that's a massive partnership. Um, what do we reckon of them, particularly in the last couple of games? They've looked pretty solid, aren't they, James? Yeah, they've, they've surprised me how quickly they've gelled together, really. I think the Sheffield United game, obviously, they kept a clean sheet in that, but you, there was little moments. Obviously, Kabak scored the own goal, which got ruled out for offside, and you start to think, oh, God, no, this isn't going to be this kind of partnership, is it, where errors keep propping up? Yeah. I take my hat off to Nat Phillips. I mean, to be all of a sudden talked about going on out on loan again at the beginning of the season, didn't even have a look in to lead in the line, really. You know, winning every header that he goes up for. I think there's nothing he wouldn't header. Um, and I've been impressed with Catback. You know, I think somebody said he's only a week younger than Rian Brewster. And then you look at the ah. effect that, that Catback's <laughs> had at the moment, and then you look at where Brewster is in the career. It's I think you know they do look really solid. One's good in the air, one's good with the feet. It's it's a nice little combination. Yeah, look fine again as they have. I mean, they've three games together and they've kept three clean sheets. Granted, the opposition hasn't been great. You know, Sheffield United weren't going to give us too many problems. Same as Wolves, RB Leipzig keeping a clean sheet against them is a bit more impressive. But yeah, as James said, they they kind of suit each other. One of them is probably well, actually, to be fair, both of them were kind of aggressive especially in Kabak's first few games I thought he was going to be kind of charging out of the line winning headers and that sort of thing but he's kind of tailored his game a bit in recent weeks to kind of you know let Phillips do that he, Phillips is better in the air so let him go attack the ball and Kabak is quicker so he can sweep up behind it's a nice little dynamic um, but yeah I think actually last night Phillips got that actually summed it up perfectly last night was Phillips went out tried to win her header he missed it but then um, Kabak covered he's as Jim Carragher said in MNF last night, he actually did nothing, but he just forced a mistake from, could have been Fabio Silva, I'm not sure. But um, just the way they, they worked it between themselves, it worked well. So I think until they give us reasons change, you might as well keep them there. Yeah, and st stability at centre-back is absolutely one thing we've not had all season. So I think it's absolutely key to try and get that. Whoever 
they are, and it looks like it's going to be Phillips and Kabak at this moment because, like we've talked about before, Reese Williams probably isn't ready, and Ben Davis, we're not really sure where he is. Um, but <laughs> it looks like Kabak and, and Phillips are going to be the two. And on the evidence, particularly the last two games, completely agree, stick with it. Um, I think Kabak last night looked so much more confident as well. There were times, particularly in the second half, where he was, he was getting on the ball and he was kind of not quite like Joel Matip does going into the midfield and going on a little bit of an adventure into, into the opposition's half. But he was getting on the ball and he was pinging nice balls out to, you know, weren't always finding the man, but it just showed that he was growing into the team and he was more happy to kind of try these things rather than just getting the ball at his feet and maybe playing it from side to side. And obviously, the more that we have Phillips and Kabak, it means that Fabinho can go back into the midfield, which is something we've been calling for for weeks and weeks. Um, so it's something I'd like to bring up again, but more in the context of Thiago, because obviously Thiago's Liverpool career, through no fault of his own, has been marred by injury or playing in a midfield that is far from Liverpool's best midfield. Now that Fabinho's gone back in there, Fabinho, Thiago, Vinaldo midfield looks closer to what you'd assume is Liverpool's best midfield. Obviously, it's the massive um, absence of Henderson, but you know, other than that, it, it's a lot stronger of a midfield than it was before. It's two of the three that basically won the league last season from that midfield. So how do we think Thiago's done, other than his tackling, which I think we can all agree is absolutely horrendous. Um, how do you think he's done since Fabinho's kind of gone back in there? I, I don't think last night was his it, it was his greatest game. I think the, the game that impressed me the most was the Leipzig game, at how well he played in that game. He, he just looked like a completely different player. Obviously, with Fabinho, though, it does just give him the license to go an extra five, ten yards up the pitch to try and play the balls that, that we know he can play. I know you've just mentioned then his tackling. <laughs> to be honest with you, playing for Bayern Munich in Barcelona, he's never really had to tackle because his team's always had possession anyway. So um, I just think that we will see the best of him come to the back end of the season. I'll get a good run of games with, like he said, two out of the three midfielders that have won the league and won the Champions League. So... Uh, I think we'll, we'll see the best, and like I said, Leipzig was was the best I've seen of him this season, probably. Yeah, I agree. I think he was he was good last night. I think he's good on the whole. He made some poor passes, kind of put Wijnaldum under pressure once or twice, but then he made up for it by doing some two or three just like moments where you're just like, wow, like this guy is unbelievable. Um, but yeah, I think definitely having Fabinho there helps him a lot because actually when you look at Thiago's career, his numbers, he puts up a lot of tackles actually for Bayern and this season as well I think he's our I think he's our top tackler of tackles and interceptions I think he has the most in the squad per 90 anyway um, and he's always put up I suppose three four defensive contributions a game so it's probably a side of his game that a lot of people don't realise that he's yeah okay he makes some horrible tackles where he basically gets booked every game but he does make a lot more tackles as well where you're just like he's actually done well there Um so, but I think having Fabinho there to actually focus on the defensive side of the game to let Thiago, yeah, he still makes tackles and the interceptions, but he doesn't have to actually put his mind to it fully, or he can scan around, he can look forward and, and see where he's going to play his next pass and that sort of thing. So, I think having Fabinho there to do the majority of the defending just lets him focus on his own job. Yeah, and I think everyone's minds just at ease when Fabinho's that kind of shield in front of the centre backs, whoever it is, whoever's in the centre back positions, even when it's you know, Van Dijk and Gomez, like last season. Having Fabinho there, I think he really probably is definitely the best in the league in that role, if not the best in Europe or, or even the world. I think he's absolutely fundamental to what Liverpool 
um, do and have done well over the last kind of two or three years is having him in that position, probably maybe more so than, than Henderson's role in the midfield in terms of overall importance. Um, final thing on, on last night, I just want to flag up, because I thought it was quite interesting. When Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain came on, he obviously went into kind of, um, came on for Jocelyn, went into that kind of <coughs> central false nine kind of position. Chamberlain's someone we've flagged up on here before as someone whose Liverpool career you know, it's probably shorter than it is longer in terms of what's left of it, um, with some fans even probably suggesting that in the summer would be a good time to move him on. I was just thinking, is this a role we could maybe see him into kind of, if he was going to stay at the club, rather than that midfield where he's played kind of in the past, the central midfield role, could we see him going for into those front three places or as a false nine um, as a rotation option? I have a soft spot for Oxley Chamberlain anyway. I don't know. I think it's just that first season he had. Um, just got a real soft spot for him. So I think I, th- I think he was really good when he came on last night. He didn't do anything that major, you know, go, wow, you know, this is the Oxley Chamberlain from three years ago, three, four years ago. But it was just good to see him sharp again. I think when we've yeah. seen him this season, he's looked two steps off the pace. Again, that'll be the injuries. Um, but it's, it'll be good to get him a run of playing as a central, you know, as a number, false number nine, or just in that position, just behind the striker. Because, I mean, he said it in multiple interviews himself, Oxley Chamberlain, playing out wide is not his greatest strength. He hated playing right midfield for Arsenal and he hated playing right uh, right wing back. He always said being in the centre is, is where I belong. So I think if he can keep fit and, you know, it'll be a good option off the bench, but it's just all about keeping him fit, isn't it? Yeah, definitely agree. I think I have a bit of a soft spot for him as well. I mean, he's obviously a really likable guy and, you know, he, he gets on with everyone in the dress room. He's always there having a laugh. He does all the media duties and everything. So he's obviously a really good character and everything like that. And yeah, just on last night, I think he was very impressive, actually. I was kind of surprised with him. Um, he showed a lot of energy, a lot of kind of desire that we haven't seen from him since he came back from his injury. Um, and he had a load of really nice moments and kind of a short cameo. So um yeah, a lot of people would be open to letting him go in the summer, but I personally wouldn't consider it at all, to be honest. I think homegrown, versatile, likeable, as I say, and on his day, he's capable of being a serious player. So I don't know why you'd be wanting to let him go. Like, he's the perfect squad player. So I don't see what the point is in sending him, to be honest with you, unless you can find another homegrown, versatile player who's going to be happy enough to sit in the bench when, you know, Thiago Henderson, Flavinho are all fit. Yeah, completely agree. And I think that desire thing is interesting because when Salah scored that offside goal that obviously was um, was obviously ruled out for offside, he wheeled away in absolute, you know, celebrating like mad because he thought he got an assist that was obviously just taken away from him. So it shows that he's still got he's still got that desire in him. I don't think that's ever been in question. It's just like, you know, James mentions keeping him fit is absolutely key. Looking ahead to the rest of the season then, um, it's looking a little bit more positive than it was a week or two ago in terms of the race for top four. Liverpool are currently five points off fourth spot, which is Chelsea. I think a couple of teams around us may have a game in hand, but you know, out of all of those teams who are competing for that spot, traditionally you'd think Liverpool would be the ones that if anyone's going to put a consistent run together, you'd, you'd back us to, wouldn't you, James? Yeah, definitely. Uh, especially after this break we're going to have now with the international break. Um I, I, you know, we're more than capable of putting that run together. Obviously, I'm more confident about getting top four after this weekend. Chelsea drop points, West Ham drop points. Um, so it does look, like you said, does look better than what it has been. Um, 
but that win yesterday, the win against Leipzig, it's only going to breathe confidence into the team. Um, and we haven't got, I know that I was going to say, we haven't got difficult fixtures this for the last running of the season. And obviously that has been the Achilles heel this season is the not, so to speak, the not hard games. But yeah, um, I think confidence will be high after that. Like I said, the two wins on the roll. Um, so yeah, there's, no, there's nothing to say we can't put it together. And we've just got to put the pressure on. You know, Leicester last season capitulated because Chelsea and United just kept chopping away at the points and just kept plugging away. And if we just keep doing that, then I think we'll, we'll run it tight. Yeah, I think, look, if we win every game until the end of the season, then it's, of course, possible. Whether we will win every game or not, I'm not so sure. Um, but yeah, I thought originally a few weeks ago, I thought Leicester are actually going to fall apart again with their injuries they were having. But then Fofana and Evans came back a bit quicker than I expected, I think. And Ihianacho decided that he was going to be good again for the first time in four years, wherever he decided to pull out. I don't know. But um, so they look kind of be back on track again. So, yeah, it's Chelsea as the team. Because, again, I said it the last time I was on Everton and West Ham. I can't see it. They didn't finish top four, to be fair. Spurs, who knows? They're what they've been all season under Jose completely unpredictable nobody knows what they're going to do from one game to the next if they're going to start falling out you're going to start fighting who knows um so yeah i think it's chelsea as a team we just need to keep the pressure on as james said just just make them feel nervous going into the game make them feel like we can't afford to drop any points here today and um i think leeds and, and it was southampton as well that they drew against they showed a kind of a good template and how to not beat chelsea but to you know causing problems to keep them quiet is press them high um you know, that's kind of how, how you're going to get joy against Chelsea. So hopefully other teams will do that for the rest of the season. Yeah, and I think other than probably Man City in this league, everyone's been inconsistent this season. Even, you know, second place Manchester United, we've seen them drop points against lesser teams and then go and win the Manchester derby, for example. There's there's still a lot of games yet to be played and you, you probably still bank on quite a few twists or turns. These teams have got to play each other. They'll take points off each other. So... All we need to do is, obviously, we don't want to... We hope this isn't another false dawn of two wins in a row, but after that international break, we've got really big fixtures against Arsenal and Aston Villa, and if we really need to put a marker down, I think, in those two games there. Arsenal haven't been great this season, but they have got quality, and Villa have obviously had a really good season. We know what they can do after we play them at Villa Park at the start of the season, that they've got you know some really good forward options. So, fingers crossed we can kind of come back out of this break get a bit of form there and hopefully that can kind of get the ball rolling for the rest of the season. In terms of the Champions League, um, obviously on Friday we'll discover who our opponents are in that competition. We talked last week about obviously Champions League probably has to be a bit of a priority um, given our league form but at the same time we don't want to just put all our eggs in the Champions League basket. So what are we hoping for from the draw on Friday, James? Um, I'm guessing we're hoping for Porto. (laughs) Porto, Porto. Uh, yeah, hundred percent. With um, but then saying again, they've just knocked Juventus out. So it's you're getting into the latter stages now, where you know the the cream that really does rise to the top. Um, we've got a good uh, good record against them in the Champions League. Obviously, beat them en route to the final um, in when we played Real Madrid in in Ukraine, and then played them on our way there again two seasons ago. So uh, it, it probably them. Um, it's probably yeah. It's the only. I don't want an English team. I don't. I don't want 
Yeah. Obviously, City, I don't want them in the next round. Uh, for some reason, we just seem to play better against foreign teams. I don't know what it is, but the Champions League form this season has been impeccable, really. Um, so, yeah, probably them or Atalanta if they get through against Real Madrid tonight. But obviously, that's a big ask for that to happen. <laughs> yeah, the draw is definitely something to look forward to. It's um, nice when you've no match this weekend to have something to kind of um, talk about, I suppose, and to, to look towards. Um, yeah, and who we, I want to get. Uh, look, I, I, I'm afraid of Man City. I'll be honest with you, I don't want to play them. I think they're comfortably the best team in Europe by a margin, to be honest. Um, even though they have probably been the best team in Europe a few seasons ago and, and they've bottled the Champions League, it, like, I just feel like this could be the year that they, they finally get it right. After that, Bayern are obviously the next best team, but they've been very patchy this season. They've kind of relied on Lewandowski a lot. I think he was, was it 31 goals in 20 games in the Bundesliga yeah. or something outrageous like that. So, um, yeah, he's obviously going to be a problem against our untried and untested centre-back pair. And if we do get them, but after that, I... I'd be happy enough with anybody. I mean, PSG or Madrid are, you know, not top of their table, which is mad for PSG. I mean, they're behind Lille, as promising and exciting as the Lille side is. They're they're still behind them. Real Madrid, you know, what are they? Third in the Liga. They don't look like coming anywhere close to winning it. Dortmund, awful, not in the top four. You know, I'm wearing a jersey right now. Um, <laughs> who else? Atletico, hopefully Chelsea will knock Atletico out because I don't want to play them again, to be fair, because they're the kind of side that'll sit back and uh, causes problems like smaller teams have done. And they're probably the best team in Europe at doing that. So I think anybody who's going to come out and play us, come and play into our hands, I'll take anybody like that, to be honest. Cool. Um, I'll just set up another Zoom meeting, guys, because this one's going to expire. So I'll see you in a second. Yeah, no worries. Looking ahead a little bit further, um, we've talked a lot on this podcast about potential transfers so we're not going to go into massive detail but this week there's kind of been a bit of talk that come the summer clops looking to prioritize the forward areas of the pitch um i think maybe particularly if you're thinking jota might go on to become a bit more of a regular starter and if someone say like origi was to depart he might want a bit more depth on the on the bench um do you think that's something we should be focusing on james obviously the centre-back issues you'd expect centre-back to come in but if Van Dijk, Gomez, Matip fit and Kabak's made permanent and then the form of Matt Phillips, maybe a centre-back wasn't going to come in. I don't know. Yeah, I, I agree with the, the, the attacking areas. Um, you know, not too long ago, I, th- I did think it was the, the centre-backs that needed, you know, the most attention this summer. But obviously, it's the strikers now. It's The, the defenders haven't really cost us the games that we've lost. It's been the strikers not taking chances, not creating enough chances between them. So, like you said, Jota becomes more of a starter and I think, you know, as the weeks go on, there's more talk of Origi going, whether that be a move within the Premier League or maybe going to Germany where he spent a season on loan at Wolfsburg. So, it's definitely something that needs prioritising if the club want to get back to where they were last season. They need to have more options coming off the bench. Yeah, I mean, all the talk is, I don't know, probably better off not to believe the Twitter and the nose and all that, but all the talk is going to be a massive summer. Um, I think maybe talk about Mbappe and Haaland is a bit, a bit of a stretch, um, but the, I, I would imagine that we're going to sign probably at least three players. Definitely, if we're in Haaland goes, we're going to sign a midfielder as well. Um, I think we're definitely going to sign at least one attacker, if not more. 
And yeah, centre back, yeah, I don't know. Maybe that if Kabak is made permanent, then I can't see it signing someone else. But then again, Matip is so unreliable. So maybe they will sign another kind of a superstar, I suppose you could say. Um, but yeah, it's definitely going to be interesting. I think all the rumours are being touted around. It's, it's going to excite fans. But um, yeah, as you say about the attacking signings, I suppose it, you're kind of looking not just for next season, but you're looking for the next five, six, seven seasons even because Mane, Sada and Firmino are all, you know, approaching 30 now. So if you want to get big money for them, probably this summer and summer 2022 is the last years you're going to get it. So if you want to, you know, bring in a big name and actually be able to afford it, you're probably going to have to sell one of the, the current front three, I suppose you could say. Um, and it's interesting, are they going to sign a natural nine? Are you going to move away from the false nine? Or are they going to sign more, I suppose, inverted wingers, you could say, because... You know, Salah is our main scorer now, but is Jota going to become that main scorer? Because looking at his, I suppose, his XG the last few years, his underlying numbers, it probably suggests that he will become a fairly regular goal scorer. So are they going to kind of have him as your number one scorer? Are they going to sign a Haaland or somebody like that who's, who's going to take on that burden? And then it turns to who's going to create the chances. So it's definitely an interesting summer. and It's a lot more to think about than just Okay, who comes in next season and can push the current front three and Jota? It's it's a it's a long term strategy. Yeah, and I think given the context of the season we've just had, it's probably a bigger season than Klopp and the recruitment team would have expected. Say a year ago, they probably thought around this kind of time we'll start refreshing the squad, but maybe it's now in their minds that like it needs a bit of a bigger <clears> overhaul than they initially initially thought due to the poor kind of season we've had. We've now got an international break, so we don't play again until April, April the 4th. So we've got a very big break for the guys. Um, does this come at a good time or a bad time, James? Uh, I think it comes at a good time. I mean, still coming off the back of two wins in a row. I think he, there were still signs last night, like we spoke about Mane before. Um, some of these players just probably do need a, a week off or two weeks off um, and then back on the training pitch for maybe the final week of the international break. And, and try and get them ready for, like you said, the big game against Arsenal away um, on April the 4th. So it, 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 you can look at it two different ways. It's come at a time where we look to have kept you know, two clean sheets in a row. There's some sort of form starting to come. But at the same time, I think, like, like I said, some of them still looked a bit leggy last night. So I think a bit of a bit of a break could come at a good time You know, before we got the next round of the Champions League. And then obviously we've got that important run of fixtures to try and put the pressure on Chelsea to try and get that fourth spot. Yeah, I agree. I think it's kind of, a, it's a good time in one sense that, yeah, we're getting that break, but then at the same time, we're after winning our last two games and we have finally a bit of momentum. Do we want to keep that going? I'm not sure, but um, yeah, it's, it's, I suppose it is good to kind of get back to winning ways before you go on a break and then you can switch off in Liverpool for, well, obviously the guys are going away playing internationals can for certain switch off about Liverpool and then get back refreshed and ready to kind of push on again. Um, and yeah, fortunately, we're getting a long break. I mean, it's three weeks till we play again. I don't know what I'm going to do for three weeks because that's the only thing keeping me entertained is playing watching Liverpool because, God, I don't want to watch Ireland. I mean, they're awful. So <laughs> um, internationals aren't too exciting over here. Um, so yeah, I think the guys getting the break is definitely going to be good for them I mean Keita's I think we heard today he's going to be allowed to play for one game for Guinea but then at the same time kind of our three players I think need to break the most Thiago, Gino Wijnaldum and Andy Robertson they're probably going to end up playing three games so 
just kind of six one half doesn't the other. It suits some players. It's not going to suit others. So um, yeah, I suppose whichever way you want to look at it. Yeah, I think that sums up everyone's kind of view on international football. Too, and it's not just Irish fans. I think even is uh, is English are kind of whenever an international break rolls around, it's very much a kind of groaning sensation for me. Anyway, um, so we'll see. Obviously, the main thing we we want is. No, no, no one's come back from injury, but hopefully having a bit of a long break gives Henderson the chance to kind of get closer to full fitness as well. Um, because he's obviously still a few weeks away. Um, in terms of players who are going away with their international teams, Curtis Jones is going to Slovenia with England and 21s. Um, I guess his inclusion kind of shows his development this season because he's not one of those who is always picked for... England under under 21 duty um how impressed have you been with him so far this season James and how much does he deserve this chance to represent his country albeit for the lower age group I've been very impressed with him to be honest um I didn't expect him to play this this many games but with the amount of minutes he's had I think at the you know last season he was sort of coming on with 10 minutes to go when we were 2-0 up um but this season he's especially the Sheffield United game he's you know, grabbing games by the scruff of the neck and and taking it on as the local lad. Um, I think he, you know, he really does deserve it. Um, and it'll be a good experience for him going on an international, you know, international tournament. It's never a bad thing to go away and sort of pin yourself against the best up and coming players from each country. Um, it's I think you'll sort of get an idea of where he has it in his career and his development by playing against the likes of France and Germany and Holland, who've got these really good young you've set up within their international side. So I've just really made up for him. I just think it's, it's a to cap off for what's been a, a really good breakout season for him. Yeah, definitely. But to be honest with you, I think he might actually feel a little bit disappointed that he's not involved with the senior team because that kind of out-and-out number eight, I suppose, box-to-box midfielder that's trust, like obviously Jurgen Klopp trusts him defensively, which is a big credit to him because he doesn't really trust his midfielders. Um, you know, even Oxide Chamberlain probably isn't trusted fully to play midfield for us. So I think that Jones is it's credit to him. Um, England are probably lacking that kind of position. It's probably the key position that they are missing is that number eight, like especially with Henderson out. Um, so I thought maybe he could have been involved with them. Um, but yeah, it's definitely good to get him, I suppose, cemented into the under twenty one side, going into the internet to the I don't know, it's a weird kind of system the way to run it this year. They have the obviously the group stages next week and then they have the knockout stages in the summer, which is a bit mad. But if he can cement himself as a starter heading into the knockout stages of a you know, an under twenty one um European championship, then you know, that'd be great for him. Yeah, completely agree with all of that. Um we're gonna end this week's show with a new segment called The Big Question. So each week we're going to ask the guys a big question from the world of football, um, not necessarily Liverpool-related. And this week it's, is the 2024 Champions League shake-up a good idea? So for those of you who are unaware, there's proposals by UEFA to kind of shake up the way that the Champions League format is at present, expand its 36 teams, which would mean six Premier League places would qualify for the Champions League. So it'd be a top six rather than a top four, which would suit Liverpool this this season. Um, but maybe going forward, maybe it's not so much a good idea. And the way it we played is it would be, it's been described as a Swiss system. So it'd be kind of one big league table with all teams playing 10 matches and the top eight will qualify automatically for the last 16. With then the next 16 teams below that go into a playoff system before 
with eight of them progressing to the last 16. And then it's as it, as it is now, the tournament continues in a knockout style, last 16 quarterfinal, semifinal, final. So obviously it's a massive shakeup, um, probably the biggest since the Champions League was kind of inaugurated in 92 from the old European Cup. Do we think it's a good idea or is it one of those kind of money grab schemes from UEFA, James? It, it just it just screams money grabbing. Um, <laughs> to be honest, I've not I've not really looked in it too much. So obviously you've just explained it there. To me, that's just we'll try and get as many teams in as we can. We'll try and make it as long as we can, and we'll we'll just bleed the competition giant on sponsorship money. I, I don't like the whole. It's a bit like the Nations League. What they've done with that now, the Nations League internationally is just it's just a waste of time. It's you know you finish second, then you go into a and qualify it to go through and then it's another round of knockouts and it's it's just all over the place um i think it's a good idea for the teams you know, like west ham everton who think oh you know we just need to get six now and then we can get into the champions league so it will spread the wealth for the teams who qualify but i just think they're just it's just going to stretch it too long and in the seasons that we've got now where games are coming thick and fast and there's not much break in between i just think it's going to do more damage than good yeah, it's a terrible idea. Like, it's so clearly <laughs> UEFA looking for money. All the elite teams, you know, the Juventus and the Barcelonas, the Real Madrid, Barcelona's, the Real Madrid, they're just mad for money. Um, I don't think they really have too much interest in the, I suppose, the romance of the game and the romance of the Champions League or the European Cup. Um, you know, I mean, there's already too many fixtures as it is. Never mind that in another, how many more games did you say? 10 more games or something? Like, it's completely ridiculous. Um, in terms of how it would work with the group stage as well. I mean, you're guaranteed to be playing, I suppose, three or four of the big teams every year, which would kind of take away from the, I suppose, the novelty of it. I mean, I mean, when you get drawn against the Barcelona or Real Madrid, it's kind of, you know, there's a buzz leading up to the game. I mean, they're the best of the best. You want to test yourself against them. But if you're playing them every year and you're playing them, what, twice a year, every year, I mean, it's a bit of a waste of time, really if you ask me, and then in terms of, you know, six teams getting into it, and from my understanding is, you know, the elite teams like Liverpool, United, Chelsea, they'd be basically guaranteed to get in, even if they come outside top six or top four, whatever it is, but I don't really want that either. I mean, you want to watch your team play with the pressure of having to get three points so you can get into the Champions League. I mean, it just take a lot of excitement away from the game, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think another big thing that's been mentioned by kind of guys orchestrating this and I think one of Juventus's like main owners or CEOs is, is behind this he's even suggested you know players teams in the Champions League not being allowed to transfer players between one another which just seems a bit bonkers doesn't it James? Yeah that sounds very strange considering how many players they've signed on free transfers <laughs> from some of the biggest teams in yeah. Europe you know Emre Can, Perlo um, just to name a few and then they signed Ronaldo two years ago to try and win the Champions League and that's not worked out so that that's that's the most ridiculous thing I've heard that the big teams can't so how are you supposed to that's, that is a disadvantage to like Everton and West Ham Southampton especially in the Premier League because all the, the big teams are going to go right we're just going to take your plays now because I can't sign a play from PSG yeah. I can't sign a play from well, the, the, Ide- the idea is just for Paddy is that the way they're, they're kind of marketing it is that if Liverpool can't buy players from, say, Man United, Man City, Barca and Real Madrid, not that they buy players often from English clubs anyway, that they would then be forced to buy players from so-called lesser teams and therefore paying them big money. 
and therefore spreading the wealth. That's how it's being described, but I don't think it'll work out quite that way. That's ridiculous. I mean, like, what is wrong with the way it is now? I mean, it's perfect. It's the best competition in the world. It has more fans than any other sport in the world, never mind, you know, competition. Like, it's it's perfect the way it is. Just leave it alone. Like, just don't mind your Juventus. Like, you have enough money. Like, just go in and mind your own business. Just let, let it work out the way it works out. Yeah, and I think it's quite ironic how Juventus are obviously the big kind of pushers of this. And in the last three seasons, they've gone knocked out to Ajax, Leon, and, and Porto, and they want to be considered one of the elite teams in Europe. So it just kind of made me enjoy their defeats Porto last week a little bit, a little bit more. So, yeah, we'll see how that one progresses. But fingers crossed. We don't like change, really, as football fans, do we? And like you say, Paddy, with the Champions League, it's a bit like when they expanded the European Championships in international football for 2016, and we had that, that weird scenario where it was like, the least bad third place teams were able to qualify. It just made it so elongated and, and just you're left with a lot of dead rubbers, really, particularly at the start of the, at the competition. But we'll see. Um, that's all for this week's show. So, James and Paddy, thank you very much for being here. Thank you for having us. Cheers, guys. And we'll be back with another show very, very soon. Um, but until then, you can keep up to date with all the goings-on at Anfield Central on our website, which is anfieldcentral.co.uk, and on Twitter, which is at Anfield underscore Central. And our podcasts are released on Acast and Apple Podcasts. So until next time, goodbye. <laughs>